0: Recording from the Sunshine City, St. Petersburg, Florida, overlooking beautiful Tampa Bay, this is the Sonography Lounge, sponsored by Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute. This podcast is dedicated to medical professionals and patients around the world interested in diagnostic and interventional ultrasound. Our podcast will discuss everything ultrasound, from news, trends, career paths, new technology, and industry updates. Hosted by Lori Green and Trisha Rio of Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute, they bring over four decades of experience in the ultrasound profession and are here to guide you through this journey. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy.
1: Hey, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on the Sonography Lounge, where we talk about all things ultrasound. My name is Trisha Rio, and I will be co-hosting today's episode with Lori Green. Hey, everybody. Today we're going to be
2: diving into learning a little bit more about transcranial Doppler. TCD, uses, TCD Ultrasound uses sound waves to examine the blood flow in the brain and is used to diagnose or monitor a wide range of conditions. And so we're here today with Shannon York, and Shannon is a registered vascular and cardiac sonographer and the founder of Sky Vascular Consulting. We're so happy to have you here with us today. So welcome, Shannon.
3: Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here with you.
1: Great. Well, Shannon, let's just start things off with you telling our audience a little bit more about yourself and how you got started in ultrasound.
3: Okay. Um, I actually got started in ultrasound, kind of a a funny story for um, a friend of mine was, was enrolled in an ultrasound program. And I saw her studying one day and asked her what she was studying and applied and got into a program within a couple of weeks and kind of a full circle story she is now a staff member with sky vascular consulting (laughs) so um, i after graduating i went to a cardiovascular program where it was a combined program and i actually ended up being uh, hired on as a student and working in kind of the main facility where i did my clinical rotations And I was fortunate enough to land my first position in a facility that did the gamut of of everything, um, ultrasound related. And I, at every point in time when there was an opportunity to learn a new modality, I was kind of the first one to sign up. I just (laughs) find it so fascinating. And about maybe six to seven months after graduating, uh, they started training me on transcranial Doppler and we initially were only doing blind studies, so I learned on a non-imaging TCD, and the first modality that I learned was with sickle cell children, um, doing screening on children, Mm -hmm. and then eventually we opened up a um, kind of a vasospasm surveillance program, Uh, that was the second tier, and then kind of graduated into monitoring a little bit later on, Um, and then about Maybe four or five years into it, uh, we started doing imaging as well. So there were certain studies we would do non-imaging on and certain studies we would do imaging. Um, and I I continued to do transcranial Doppler for my 10-year tenure, tenure there. I actually started working in an office and would come back on the weekends when I could or after hours or before hours just to do the TCDs just because I, I found them to be so fascinating.
1: mm mm-hmm. Wow, that is quite the you just summed it all up so easily and it's so complicated what you just said, you know. And I think the one <laughs> the one main takeaway I hope that stenographers are hearing is the um the enthusiasm you have for learning new modalities, new applications and growing and just how many doors that has opened for you.
3: Well, and I think TCD is is definitely going to be continuing to grow. Um It's it's one of the newer modalities of ultrasound, so you know they're still developing a lot of you know a lot of applications for it. So I think Mm -hmm. we're gonna we're gonna see it continue to grow throughout facilities in the United States, kind of at a rapid rate. Yeah, Yeah,
2: absolutely. And um, so I think that the sonographers listening, as Tricia said, you know take that to heart because you know as technology changes and and how we utilize ultrasound in different applications, that it opens up a lot of doors for you, and the more that you can learn, uh, the more marketable that you'll be, and uh, the the better you'll be able to help your patients. So that was a perfect segue, uh, Shannon, into um, discussing you know what what some of the applications are for TCD. Um, how can it be used and to directly improve patient care and help save lives and and just evaluate different um, types of
3: pathology? Um, sure. Well, I um, I like I said initially kind of started with some of the larger um, modalities, so I'll talk about those first, and then kind of talk about some of the the up and coming or the more secure more obscure applications. Um, I. I think that the main application, uh, you know, as I travel to different facilities and conduct trainings, um, the majority of the time they are at least running uh, what's called I said, a sort of a vasospasm surveillance program. Uh, so, and that's that's kind of how TCD maybe got its kickoff. Uh, I think it was kind of back in the mid uh, 1980s where we were running into a problem with uh, patients that needed continual um, blood flow monitoring. And because the circle of Willis is encapsulated in the skull, ultrasound can be difficult. Um, We know that ultrasound doesn't see through bone. Uh, So with with some of the innovations of transcranial Doppler early on, um, they were able to increase the power of the ultrasound system and decrease the footprint of the probe so that we could actually shine through small openings in the skull and get readings on the blood flow um, within the circle of Willis. And that initial application that I was mentioning um, for vasospasm surveillance, it affects a, a certain population of people that have had hemorrhagic strokes and they're prone to a secondary condition after they've um, controlled the bleeding and kind of stabilized them initially, where the breakdown of the blood clot in the brain can cause spasming of the vessels. Um, And depending on the degree of spasming and the location of that spasm, it usually occurs uh, three to five days after the initial bleed. Uh, it can be. It can cause another life-threatening uh, condition. It can cause a secondary ischemic stroke if the vessel spasms too much. So, without transcranial Doppler, um, in order to, to to see or do a surveillance uh, routinely, you would want to do that daily. You you would have to expose the patient to radiation and die uh, because the only way to see those vessels would be to do a more invasive test every day. And we all know. There could be a lot of harmful side effects from that that would be you know just just as bad as a vasospasm. Mm-hmm. So the initial TCD technique was developed to monitor the the blood flow daily and look for changes in the speed of the blood flow which we could therefore deduce there's a change in the size of the vessel. Um, so with vasospasm surveillance we're able to do a daily tcd with a trained technician uh, and monitor for those changes and we're able to alert the doctor to those types of changes and then they can perform um, a a confirmatory study and now that we have treatments that can actually treat the vasospasm you were very actively saving lives by detecting it and saving lives by not having to submit them to more invasive tests. Um, the other application I mentioned earlier is um, pertaining to sickle cell children. And uh, that, to me, you know, that combined with spasm studies, um, and I'll talk more about the sickle cell uh, surveillance in a second, it's a very powerful feeling as a sonographer to you work with the same patients over and over. Um, you develop a bond and you're really helping you first hand giving a clinician information that they're able to operate on in, in real time to save a life. And you know, being able to help save a child's life is a very powerful feeling um, is definitely you know why I got into ultrasound, um, and, and it's very rewarding. Um, it, it can have its downfalls. It can, you know, you can you can definitely be exposed to situations that are um, sad sometimes. But with the vas- uh, sorry, with the sickle cell children, um, typically what we do after they're you know identified at birth as having you know sickle cell disease, we know that one of the side effects of that. Is that the uh, red blood cells can become um, dis? They instead of being disc shaped, they're shaped more like sickles, and in small vessels throughout the body, they can end up getting tangled together. Um, it, And it has a particularly uh, profound effect on the circle of Willis in children because their vessels are so small. Mm -hmm. So we would do something similar with them where they would come in um, every six months to a year and we would monitor the blood flow velocities and detect changes. Um, If we find that their velocities have increased outside of a certain predetermined range, then they come back in in a couple of weeks to have a follow-up study just to make sure there was nothing else contributing to that increase. And if they still find that the patient's uh, values are suggesting that there are narrowings in the vessels or tangles, then they actually go ahead and put them into treatment as well um, they can give them blood transfusions that'll help uh, get the ratio of normal blood cells back you know a, a little bit closer to normal um, and then you a lot of times you'll follow those children you know I've worked at the facility I was at for 10 years um, so I would see children grow up, basically, um, which is, you know, rewarding and, and be able to live a, a semi normal life despite of their condition. Um, and I'll just kind of briefly touch on the, the third um, major kind of classification, I guess, application of TCD. And that would be um, what's called monitoring And the two most um, common forms of monitoring transcranial Doppler studies, um, and by monitoring, I'm referring more or less to studies that usually we try to listen to both sides of the temple at the same time, Um, so bilateral. And have usually they're not, um, we're not just taking sections of the circle of Willis throughout. We have a target focus on one uh, vessel on each side. And usually the tests last a little bit longer, so a lot of times we'll fixate uh, headgear to the patient so that we can get steady, uh, long, long-term long results, um, and, and meaning maybe between 10 and 30 minutes. Um, and the, the main reason that we would do uh, a monitoring study uh, would maybe number one be to, t- to detect for emboli, and an emboli is something that originates um, elsewhere in the body that may not have any negative impact where it originates from. But unfortunately, again, as we travel, if if the emboli travels to the circle of Willis, the vessels are so small that you know even something very minute, like a pencil point, can cause a major obstruction in the vessel. So, Usually, we have a clinical scenario ahead of time uh, where we suspect that the patient may be uh, throwing emboli. You know, they've had a TIA or a, a stroke. Or we have a condition in the body that we know is prone to showering that emboli. Um, some examples of that uh, would be a carotid stenosis that has unstable plaque that might be breaking off and showering distally. So even though the carotid stenosis may not be severe enough to cause ischemia, if the plaque breaks off and, and embolizes, it could definitely cause a blockage. Uh, and there's a lot of cardiac sources. Um, atrial fibrillation would be one where we you know, we're not pumping the the heart's not pumping properly, which can cause many blood clots to develop. Uh, cardiomyopathies, people whose heart aren't necessarily squeezing as well as they should, can develop clots uh, in the the arterial side of the heart. So typically with those studies, we would fasten a head frame on and we'd listen for about 30 minutes and we would let mother nature, you know, do her thing. And if, if there are emboli showering, then 30 minutes is usually a sufficient time enough to catch that emboli. And for that particular application, uh, there is a uh, software in the transcranial Doppler machine that actually can detect the emboli and count them. So it gives us you know, real scientific information for the doctor to work with. Mm-hmm. And the last would be kind of a spinoff of that where we think that a person may have a patent uh, foramen ovale or a little small hole in the heart that's usually there in utero, However, in about 25% of patients, or patients as people, uh, there still is a small hole. Sometimes it's very, very small. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit larger. But sometimes um, during our daily life, we can do things um, even so much as coughing uh, that can make the hole pressurized a little bit. And occasionally we'll have sludge or small blood clots on the right side of our heart in the venous system that could pass through that hole and end up embolizing to the circle of willis so there's a specialized uh, study it's kind of it's shared between the the cardiac world and in the neuro uh, world, where we would actually inject some saline that's been um, agitated very hard to create small bubbles in it, and we inject it onto the venous side, and if there's a small little hole, we will be able, we'll be able to hear it in the Circle of Willis, we'll be able to detect the air emboli. Wow. So Wow. They're using that test. That's definitely one that's gaining a lot of popularity. They're even using that in lieu of some um, ultrasound that they, a different type of ultrasound they would do on the heart. Yeah. Cardiologists are actually using it to detect holes in the heart because a hole in the heart can also have negative impact on the actual heart itself, Mm -hmm. as well as the possibility of it leading to a stroke for the patient. there are a lot of other applications, and I could go on forever probably, but I think those are the most predominant. <laughs>
1: well, you know, I've uh, we recently heard that staggering statistic that 25% of people have a paint for Amino Valley, and I was surprised. I couldn't believe it was, you know, one in four people. That means one of the four people that are on this podcast right now sitting in this room could potentially have a paint for Amino Valley. And, you know, and then to find out how many – Cardiac sonographers actually aren't aware that there's TCD applications. Um, I was in a chat group the other day and they were talking about using TCD for PFOs and everyone in the group was like, that's not, they don't use that. They're, no, we do that with cardiac imaging. And it was interesting to watch the conversation and the, you know, just the education that was going on and how many people don't know about that, that there's a TCD application for that. So. Um, you know, thank you for sharing that and all those other applications with us. That was really interesting.
3: No problem. I actually have a PFO. Oh, see, <laughs> I'm, I'm maybe the one in the four. You're
1: the yeah, one in the you four. Go. <laughs> At least that we know of. Could be more. <laughs>
3: uh, it also, um, they have found a very strong link between um, larger PFOs and migraines. So there are. Um, a lot of people now are, are undergoing the test and ruling that out as a possibility because, it, you know, sometimes it can be very hard to determine the source of the migraine and they can actually close the PFO um, for all patients that they feel that like clinically would benefit from it. And patients are reporting immediate relief from their migraine headaches.
2: Wow. That's, that's awesome. There are so many people that suffer from migraines and, throughout the world, you know, and and it is such a difficult um, source. The source of their migraines is difficult to determine because there are so many different reasons why people get migraines. So to be able to rule that out and say you do or do not have a PFO and that could be a major source of your migraines is is really huge and in a non-invasive yes. manner. <laughs> so um, we've been talking a lot about um the technology and different applications. And um, earlier on, we, you were discussing how uh, you originally learned how to do TCD and using non-imaging techniques. But we also have the capability of of uh, evaluating uh, the transcranial vessels with duplex color. And um, many of our customers, some of them just getting started into it, that's, that's all they have. They don't have a non-imaging system. So um, for whatever reason maybe they have uh, a new physician that is has joined their their team and they want to integrate uh, transcranial transcranial applications or or they're expanding their department to be able to offer other technology um, but can you kind of elaborate on why uh, you would choose duplex color over non-imaging or are they used in conjunction with one another or what would be the the reason for your for doing one or both of those?
3: That is a very good question. Um, And I think some of it, I would say, relates back to kind of how you're taught. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel like a lot of sonographers who learned it to do non-imaging are, it's harder for them to switch over to imaging and vice versa. So there, but I would say that there are, for instance, monitoring Uh, has to be done with non-imaging because it's the only way to get a bilateral study um, and it has the software to detect the emboli. Um, So certain applications would have to be done with Mm -hmm. non-imaging. There's certain Vasospasm studies, uh, sickle cell studies, um, and a lot of the routine examinations can be done with either. So a lot of that will just depend on the, mostly it'll depend on the physician and how the physician learned and the physician was trained. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely uh, times where you know I would like to have both modalities available to me right. I, I have an example actually where I was at a site recently um, and the physician I was training so the physician was giving us a wide range a wide array of studies different types of studies to do to give us practice and uh, we went to scan a patient that had I knew this from reading a CT, so that's also very helpful if you have the ability to look at any kind of um you know arteriogram on the front end you you gather information but she had occlusions in two of the major arteries in her brain. Mm-hmm. And with non-imaging I feel like I could have maybe uh, without cheating and reading the CT, but I could have you know, I, I would have had a tougher time saying for sure that I'm comfortable saying that there was occlusions versus me you know just running into a technical um, issue, you know maybe the patient didn't have the best windows, et cetera. So it was very helpful for me in that case to to gain an image, a color duplex image and confirm the occlusions. Um, I would say on occasion the non-imaging, Or not on occasion, but there is definitely times where the non imaging can can actually be easier uh, because the probe has a smaller footprint. So if you did have a patient who had um, challenging windows and by challenging windows, I mean that they don't have very large holes in the skull. um, Children are very easy to scan, um, except for they can be impatient because they still have the openings from, you know, from birth and they're slowly closed over the course of time. But as as we get into advanced aging, um, a lot of times those holes almost nearly close up. So you're looking for, you know, a a tiny, tiny opening. So sometimes non-imaging can be easier to shine the actual beam through. I would say, you know, in my perfect world if if I was you know uh, leading a TCD lab, I would probably have uh, both modalities available. Uh, one thing that in a lot of the studies that we do we actually trend. so for instance, with vasospasm, you like I said, you're looking for a change from day to day. so, you wouldn't necessarily maybe want to switch back and forth during the testing, you want to keep things mm-hmm. as consistent as possible. Uh, so you, I would use them in tandem, um, kind of maybe in a way, like if I went up to do a non-imaging study and I couldn't find a window, I would go up with imaging and confirm that they do or don't have a window um, or, you know, see if I can detect any flow visually. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, I'm not, not biased in any way. Um, so I'm just trying to think of kind of a main way of describing which, which one would be best. Mm-hmm. And I, I do feel, like I said, it kind of relates to, you know, where you learn, how you learned, and the physician's preference. Um, there is some, some thought that the non-imaging gives more precise calculations, um, just because of some of the, the angles of the the angle of incidence basically. Um, but I would venture to say that a lot of sonographers, especially those just kind of coming into TCD new, they are going to feel a lot more comfortable with imaging um, just because you know they're they're able to visually see the circle of Willis. They're able to manipulate the system like they're used to doing. Uh, so um, I think I think either technology is, is fine too, um, and and it's just again based on the facility's preference. I hope I, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, that's fine. No, I would agree with you, Shannon. I think that um, from from my experience of working with different people who are learning how to do TCD, a lot of um, you know, that's always a question that we ask. Uh, are you, are you utilizing duplex color to perform these or do you have non-imaging or both? And so that we have a kind of a, a good idea of what their background and what their equipment is that they work with. And I think in, I think most of the people that especially if they're like in a radiology department, you're right. They're, they're sonographers. They're used to, used to working by visualizing and seeing the anatomy and the associated pathology. So they're naturally going to be more comfortable learning how to do TCD with duplex and color because that's what they're familiar with. And, um you know, anytime you're trying to do an exam without being able to see something, it's going to be a little awkward for you. But um, it, maybe if they're wor- working in a facility where they have a dedicated vascular lab, and they might be doing some other vascular type um, examinations, for instance, uh, and direct physiologic testing for um, peripheral vascular disease, um, they that's just going to be a natural thing to add in another technology, and they're just used to working with things that are either imaging or not, or they work in a in a um, a larger stroke center or something like that, then they're probably going to end up having more uh, technology available to them. So I I think a lot of it is, yes, uh, as you you said, the physician who's going to be reading his his or her experience, but also the department that they work in and what they have available. And um, I don't know about you, but we've been seeing um, increased utilization of uh, transcranial Doppler, whether it's non-imaging or imaging and a lot more requests for uh, training. And most of the people that we're working with have never done transcranial before. So even though they might be doing carotid studies and they're comfortable with the the um, um, you know cerebrovascular anatomy from the standpoint of doing carotid duplex exams, not so familiar with intracranial anatomy. And uh, it's a whole different ball of wax and how you perform the exam and like you said, the windows are much smaller, and and there are going to be another advantage, as you indicated, because the windows are smaller. There's going to be people that you can't really get a good exam with duplex color. So if you have the ability to just switch over to do a non-imaging, then you may be able to get an, a good quality exam that way without having to send the patient home. So I can see benefits of having both, for sure, um, available at the budget per- or um you know the budget allows but um I would think that uh those things would um certainly uh play a role in um what system they would use.
3: Yes. And I think you kind of you really touched on a topic that's um uh it's one I kind of see on a regular basis of of where to home T C D Um, When you go, you know, I, before I work with doing any formal training, I go through a pretty uh, rigorous kind of interview process to learn all of that because you, you'll find about 25 different combinations throughout the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, sometimes it does get homed in radiology. Uh, We have general sonographers and radiologists reading. It gets honed in the neurology department a lot, um, sometimes in the vascular sonography department. And more recently, what I'm seeing a lot is that uh, their uh, EEG techs are performing and nurses are performing Mm -hmm. the, the TCD. So, you know, I look. I always kind of figure out where we're starting to know, you know, where, where we're going with, with training. Um, You know, if, if you have a vascular sonographer, they already kind of appreciate hemodynamics. Uh, If not, you know, you kind of need to teach that. So I think it's going to be interesting to see over the next few years where TCD really finds its home. Uh, I think uh, a lot of times that, you know, when it gets introduced that, people really underestimate the technical skill level involved, um, not making it seem, I don't mean to make it seem like it's impossible to learn. It's not, you know, we, we teach TCD a lot. We have great success, but uh, you know, just because it's not a typical ultrasound, I think it's, un, you know, mis-assumed uh, sometimes that, you know, it's just easy. You just put the probe up there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: It's actually a lot more technical than that. Um, yeah. So the training is very important, um, and I'm glad that you know. Glad to see that people are seeking training for it and doing things, you know, the right way. Trying to get it initiated the right way um, because you are providing real time results to those physicians, and they're using those those results to make decisions.
1: Yeah, right. So, if you're a sonographer working in a vascular lab, say, and you wanted to bring TCD to your department, you know, do you have some advice on what those sonographers could you know, how they could approach their facility and say, hey, I think we need to integrate TCD. You know, any tips or advice on that?
3: Um, so I see, like I said, the most common, um, what I see is, is a physician brings it with them. Um, so I really think that, you know, making that, uh, making TCD, you know, kind of bringing awareness to physicians, especially even as they're coming through medical school, you know, the value of it and, you know, really placing that so that when they they bring, you know, when they get placed into their, you know, attending physicians that they, they bring that technology. Um, as far as integrating it in, you know, to different labs, I think one of the main, uh, you know, Things that I touched on would be the PFO studies. Um, I I did a con- I spoke at a conference on it and I showed videos of us doing PFO studies on um, it was on standardized patients on staff who we did nine studies and five people had PFOs. <laughs> That's so, uh, insane. I showed that and I showed the different technique and the different readings between echoes and, uh, TCD on the same patients. And I had people follow me out into the lobby after I was done speaking. And (laughs) and this, these were sonographers that are doing, you know, echo tests and they were just wowed, because it is, it's very accurate. It's simple. Um, you know, I think anyone, any facility that is going to be accepting patients that have subarachnoid hemorrhages, it's it's just, you know, it's incumbent on them to initiate this program. I mean, because if I were if a family member of mine were going to, you know, be hospitalized after that event, I would definitely want them to be somewhere where we could safely detect phasospasm every day. And I think um some of the newer, so some of the newer applications of TCD are, are what's really going to kind of start to fill labs, um, you know, start to bring TCD to labs that haven't been doing it previously. One of the, uh, one of the things I really think will probably change a lot in the future is monitoring during, um, cardiovascular exams. I'm, I'm sorry, cardiovascular surgeries, mm-hmm. um, this would be a way for physicians during uh, heart surgeries, carotid surgeries, all, all different kinds of surgeries, to know number one whether they're showering emboli. I worked, a, I went into a facility in Kentucky, and actually, in Kentucky, with certain surgeries, it's it's a legal. Um, I don't I don't know if legal is the right word, but they have to monitor tcd for certain kinds of surgeries throughout the whole entire state uh, so it's, it's actually a good program there and we they were doing surgery on a pediatric patient who had a, a cardiac like a, an anomaly at birth where some of the the venous and the arterial components of the heart were switched so as you start to th- go in and, you know, repair that, you can hear distally um, in the brain if if they're showering emboli, getting air in. So the other major, um, you know, surgical application, like I mentioned, was cardiac, where you have a patient on a heart and lung bypass machine and you're controlling how much blood is circulating through the body based on the settings. So, you know, a perfusionist would be be present, but you can see changes in perfusion to the brain uh, on TCD, and you can assist, give give the information to the perfusionist and allow them to adjust the settings in real time. Um, Mm. Another major uh, application that I hope, really kind of gains momentum. I've had the opportunity to do some work in Florida at a clinic that specialized in this and have gone back several times, but uh, there's conditions that can happen to to younger patients, older patients, uh, where the vessels, the feeding vessels to the brain can get um, pinched off. It can be the internal carotid artery, uh, which is called Eagle syndrome, or the vertebral called uh, bow hunters. And what ends up happening is that patients positionally will lose flow to their brain as this gets pinched. And in normal circumstances, you know, there may be pinching going on in a good deal of the population, and we don't know it because we have a full circle of willis. So the right can collateralize to the left and left to the right and back to the front, et cetera. Mm-hmm but if if a patient has that condition and lacks even one collateral, uh, when that vessel's pinched, they'll have syncopal episodes. And I think um that there are a great deal of syncopal episodes that are probably attributed to that, but we don't know because we usually do the imaging after the fact when the patient doesn't have their head turned to the side, right so now they're introducing doing monitoring with provocative maneuvers and you Mm -hmm. have the patient move and then you see how it affects the blood flow in the brain if there's you know greater than 50 percent drop that would be very concerning and it's 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 easy to go in and fix the issue Um, so i hope to see you know those types of things evolving and bringing tcd to more labs and, and helping save patients' lives and making patients more comfortable for sure. Wow.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely, and it's interesting that you mentioned that, um, particularly because of patients that have an in- incomplete circle of Willis. And I think the I think the statistics are that fifty percent of the patient population has an incomplete circle of Willis. So if they have this impingement or kinking um, type condition, you know, there's a lot of people out there <laughs> that may um, certainly benefit from having the. Having this technique you know, yeah. utilized to evaluate for those situations when they may be symptomatic.
1: Would those pro- provocative maneuvers be done with um, the headset monitoring? Is that how you do that? Yes. Yeah.
3: Yes. Um, so that would be a good you know example of something that needed to be done with non-imaging. Um, the other thing we just touched on was identifying if someone had a full circle of Willis. Uh, that would be a little easier to do on an imaging,
1: mm-hmm. um, yep. right? So, so good argument for and, both.
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and so you would leave. You would do the headset with the provocative movers because you would you would want to try to rule out any you know us falling off of the vessel during the maneuver um, as being the reason for the drop. So you want to keep it as, as steady as possible. And mm-hmm. um, it is pretty, it's, the, the brain is a, it's just so fascinating. <laughs> yes. I, can, I can get very deep down into thinking about it. You know, uh, one really cool thing when we were performing those maneuvers, uh, just the simple task of asking the person to do the maneuver changes the amount of blood flow momentarily that you're picking up, depending on, you know, where you're monitoring so the, the brain is changing all the time. Uh, one of my favorite things when I'm showing people you know, that are new to TCD, you know, how profound it can be is what's called the breath holding test. As we hold our breath, um, even for as short a time as 30 seconds, it changes the carbon dioxide levels in the blood enough to cause the vessels in the brain to expand. And as that happens, a mean flow velocity can almost double in 30 wow. seconds in response to just that one stimuli. Uh, so there's all kinds of fascinating things. And the fact that we can collateralize. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if I personally want to know if I have a complete circle <laughs> of <course> or not. <laughs> I would agree one there. To worry about.
2: <laughs> yeah, really. What, just um, one more thing to have to worry about, right? <laughs>
3: yeah. But you could take, you could take five patients and, you know, they could have the same external reason for stroke, but based on their collateralization patterns, you have five very completely different outcomes. Um, So the brain is just, I mean, it's so fascinating.
2: Absolutely. And I think, you know, this uh, discussion that we've been having has been really great. And I think not just for uh, physicians, sonographers, and medical professionals that are listening in, but we also have general public that listens in as well. And many of these things that we've been discussing, people are just not even aware of. From ranging from source of, uh, you know, migraines to, you know, even asking the question when you're going in for surgery of uh, what technology do they have available, um, and and so forth. And and maybe we may even see that this may have value. Um, in utilizing in the emergency department for patients that come in with symptoms of stroke or, or um, uh, or other uh, issues such as migraines that might uh, help them to get to uh, the appropriate management and treatment a little bit quicker than than otherwise. So um, I think that. You know this. This conversation has been really great, and mm-hmm. we're seeing gaining interest in utilization of TCD, not only um, by individuals but also in various departments. And like you said, we'll figure out down the line where it ends up being predominantly performed. But I think for now, we're going to see that TCD is um, being performed in a wide variety of settings and in, um, outpatient, inpatient, different departments, depending upon the facility and the services they have to offer. But I know we're seeing an increased utilization and that's um, probably why, because the technology and, and how we can use it and the the different types of pathology that can be detected utilizing a non-invasive techniques such as TCD can positively impact um, the patient's outcomes and, and um, help them to not have to deal maybe even with some uh, devastating impairments as, as uh, time goes on. So we, um, Really appreciate you being here with us today, Shannon. You've really uh, shed some light on uh, an area of ultrasound that a lot of people aren't very familiar with, but uh, certainly should take the advantage of any opportunity to learn it and expand their skill set and, and uh, you know, to improve the patient quality of care and safety. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And I, I think that's, I, I would one kind of give one takeaway is that, you know, it, uh, even though that it's a very different kind of ultrasound, it is it is definitely learnable and it's definitely teachable. And I really enjoy when I you know run into someone that's very enthusiastic about learning. And from a sonographer's standpoint, you know i I think learning new technologies and keeping things um, exciting and new is really a good way to enrich your career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. You don't ever want to feel complacent or or burnt out. And I think, you know, educating, learning something new, you know, getting those synapses firing in our own minds is a really good way to increase, you know, job satisfaction. Yeah. So I I look at it as a positive. (laughs) I love teaching, you know, new TCD, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and when I go and they're enthusiastic about it, it's a really good feeling.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we've had the pleasure of, uh, working with, uh, Shannon now and working together and developing some online courses and, and, uh, with our regular hands-on workshops. And, um, it's always been a pleasure having you here and working with you and your, your passion is definitely, right. uh, <laughs> demonstrated in, in how you teach. And, and so we're happy to actually have this relationship going with you and, um, for those of you who are listening and you're thinking about doing uh, transcranial or uh, your visit, phys- you may have a new physician come in that wants to expand the services being offered, you know, just reach out to us and you know we can help you with our different various um, services and uh, training resources that are available to you. Yeah,
1: yeah, your passion is definitely it comes through even on a, on a podcast, we can hear it (laughs) and uh, very enthusiastic. So, and you're right. It's it's
3: so cool. Once you start really getting, diving into it, though. you know, instead of just, you know, knowing kind of the basics, but just knowing everything behind it. And uh, I've learned a lot about my own body. Right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I think in ultrasound, it can be really easy to fall into this rut where you're just like Venus ultrasound carotid ultrasound, Venus ultrasound, yeah. and you just kind of mm-hmm. fall into that and you don't find yourself challenged. And then you take on something like learning TCD and you're right, it just brings a whole new level of enthusiasm to your daily routine that you were missing and you find yourself very satisfied. So, yeah.
2: And, you yeah. know, it's intimidating when you try to learn something new and you're not necessarily familiar with the anatomy, the scan techniques, yeah. and you've kind of been thrown into this situation where you have to learn something relatively quick. Um, you know, it can be intimidating, but
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, as you indicated, you know, the an you just have to learn the anatomy. We're talking not too massive and the scan techniques are definitely different. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not making large movements with your uh, skin, scan- you know, when you're scanning, you're making minute movements, a little bit more like cardiac scanning. And so you just have to learn a new technique, you know, everything everything takes time and but it's not impossible and in between us and Shannon, we can make it easy for you. That's right.
3: (laughs) Yes. Um, They do also, there is a, um, a now a registry available specific for uh, it's carotid and TCD. And I just wanted to put that out there because, you know, like I said, it's being homed in EEG departments a lot and with other uh, credentialed individuals that are not sonographers. So, uh, it's, it's offered through the ASN, and it allows uh, non-sonographers to actually be credentialed to perform the TCD um, if, if they so choose. Uh,
0: awesome.
3: it, I think it's not necessarily a requirement, but it can be very helpful, the study process, and, and having, having those initials by your name. Yep.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, it gives uh, patients confidence. You know, your yes. registry provides a lot of confidence to your patients, and that's important. Right.
3: I agree. And I feel I feel like registries, it's its becoming a little more stringent now um, where they really want people to be registered, if possible, for all types of ultrasound yeah, mm-hmm. and modalities.
1: Yeah, well, it's definitely starting to impact um, reimbursement. So we will see that movement yes. just become stronger as insurances make more and more of these exams that we do you know, make them so that it's required to be performed by a registered sonographer. So, yeah, definitely get your registries, guys. Well, (laughs) Shannon, this has been great. Thank you so much for all of this information. And uh, we really appreciate you being here with us today.
3: No problem. Thank you guys so much. Thank
1: you. And we want to thank our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Sonography Lounge podcast so you don't miss an episode. Have a great day and happy scanning. Thanks,
2: everyone. Have a great day.
3: Have a great
0: day. Thanks for listening to the Sonography Lounge. Don't forget, if you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, at Sonography Lounge, and Twitter, at Sonography LNG. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, feel free to send an email to us at Sonography lounge at gmail.com. Have a great week and scan, scan, scan.